Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, the 21st of December, and it is time, diggity donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. We're 10 minutes late, and it's not actually my fault or even Brian Campbell's. Can you believe it? But better late than never, I always say, BC. Uh, okay, we are from CBS Sports, sometimes Showtime, and uh, always on your YouTubes. Um, I, as I mentioned before, I'm Luke Thomas. Man, on the other side of the screen, my CBS Sports brethren. He is uh, the king of Connecticut next to Apathy the Rapper. It's the one and only Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Hello, Luke. I'm here. I'm back. I'm ready. Okay, my neck, my back, something with my crack. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, had, I probably had a much better introduction like 10 minutes ago, but good thing we got through all these uh, ridiculous problems, excuse me, and uh, we are ready to go because it was a loaded combat sports weekend, Luke, and our job as provocateurs, reactors, raconteurs uh, is to hold our best takes until Monday's morning combat, so I am so ready, Luke. Hopefully you have not appeared on anybody else's channels or, or podcasts before this. I certainly haven't, and I just I, I I knew. I mean, you can just set your fucking watch to you getting bitter about me promoting the show. But don't worry, I actually have some extra brand new takes for today's show, as I always do. We have a lot to get to, as BC indicated. The Canelo Alvarez fight we're going to get to. We're going to get to the UFC's last show of 2020. There's a whole lot there, uh, so we don't have a whole lot of time to waste. Which means we need you to give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. Thanks to everyone who did that for brand new subscribers. I think we added about 400 over the weekend from some of those instant reaction videos. BC did one for the Alvarez fight. I did one for the UFC one. So if you are new, welcome. Tell your friends about the show. And by the way, if you want to try Showtime, the people that make this show possible, we would encourage you to do that. 30-day free trial. Uh, You can go check out all of their goodness, or you can go pound sand. Maybe you can give it as a free gift to somebody. I don't know. Uh, Speaking of gifts, if you want to try some of the merchandise, you can go to store.show.com. There it is. You can get a hat like BC's got right there on his big-ass melon. And uh, But we have mugs. We have tumblers. We have shirts, hats, hoodies, the whole nine yards. And, of course, um, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but... You know, uh, you know what you're plug? forgetting, Luke, you need, you need to watch the uh, Comedy Store docu-series on Showtime. You keep telling Please. me about this. I've got to do Please. it. I finished it last night. Uh, I couldn't sleep. It was so good. It was amazing. I loved it. Thank you. All right. Very good. Well, without further ado, let's get this party started uh, since we're already kind of late. We will start with what is the biggest fight over the weekend, BC. Canelo Alvarez 
wins, I think, what your WBA, WBC, and Ring Magazine titles uh, at 168 pounds. Not just defeating Callum Smith, but basically, what do you want to say? Making it look easy? Let's start with the overview, Brian Campbell. What is your biggest takeaway from Canelo Alvarez's one-sided victory? Uh, I think the easiest one to say is that in this debate over who is the pound for pound king in boxing. And I've, you know, gone on record for the past year saying this is the most heated the debate's ever been. A year ago, you had four, five, six guys who had a case for it. We've narrowed that case down to about four fighters, but I think Canelo's performance top to bottom really showed you he's number one with a bullet. He has it from the resume side. If you're more of a resume guy when it comes to pound for pound voting, he also has it from the damn eye test, from everything, Luke. For him to be able to hop weight classes as he does and keep the same level of skill is phenomenal. Certainly, his ability to move his power up, his ability to build up his body and take punishment. I mean, he's the bigger man, so to speak, from the standpoint of walking down and delivering the boom against guys that are way bigger than him naturally. Sergey Kovalev, Rocky Fielding, now Callum Smith. Uh, the divide in ability was huge. And I think overall, Luke, it's just that this guy's better than he should be. I mean, he was a very good junior middleweight, right? He went up to middleweight. He had the series with Triple G. It was great. For him to be able to have this other extension of his career now at age 30 when he's been a pro for like 15 years and show you that he has evolved to the standpoint where he has an absolute complete game top to bottom. He was more of a counterpuncher in the smaller weight classes when the speed advantage was a disadvantage for him. Now that he's the smaller man moving up, he's completely switched gears, and although he's the he's the puncher, he's walking him down, he's using speed and angles and technique to set it up. Just a, an, an incredible evolution as a fighter. Uh, he's number one right now. And, and I'm not going to say by a landslide because Terrence Crawford's great. Nayawa Inoue, Errol Spence Jr., they're all right there. But Canelo, uh, he, he's freaking great, Luke. And it was already his era commercially. And it's not like this one fight against Callum Smith is like the equivalent of beating Floyd Mayweather. It's not. But it was a great close-up after a year off to just remind us exactly who the hell he is and that he has a lot more history to make. Uh, This is one of the more special careers of our lifetime, Luke, and I don't think we really realized that the last couple years. When I was watching this, I think I had the same reaction as you, which was, this is going... I mean, we both thought, I think, Alvarez was going to win, right? I think we both said that before the fight, and certainly I think we had talked about it. That was our expectation, but you know how it was going to go exactly? Well, there was still a little bit of mystery there. And when it was over, you were like, how, how did he make it look that easy? You know what's amazing to me about this, Brian? It's like he has nearly 60 fights at this point. I mean, right at it, right? Let's just say more or less 60 fights. And he's 30 years old. As you mentioned, he's been fighting professionally for a long time. Did not have a, a, a much of an amateur background at all. But here's the point I wanted to make. At 30 years old, dude, he's not only in his prime, but he has clearly gotten better. I mean, when you were watching this, two things really stood out to me in a very obvious way. One... He was the much heavier puncher of the two. I mean, there were moments where Callum Smith would have his guard up, protecting the shots. Like, he knew what kind of punch was coming his way. And just the sheer velocity and force of what Alvarez was throwing would just break it open. So, which is to say, okay, well, it's one thing to break it open, but then the shot is somewhat deflected. Yet, it would break open Callum Smith's guard and still land and still rock his head back. I mean, this dude's power doesn't just carry to 168. He might be the heaviest puncher at 168. I was shocked at how much he was just 
physically dominating Callum Smith. Again, not from the length and the height, but from the force of nature that he was at this weight class. And of course, he always has good punch selection in the other parts. The other thing to me was he's always had to me somewhat underrated defense, but I don't know how you can't watch this and be really amazed at it. He was slipping punches. He was rolling underneath counters. He had such good command of distance. He was backing Callum Smith up and had his backs along the rope or his back along the ropes, I should say, excuse me. But the key was whenever Smith tried to like put pressure on him, Canelo would just kind of get out of the way of it and not really back up himself. He always kind of just held his ground, and he could do that by virtue of anticipating what was coming, getting out of the way of it, getting inside, and then putting the beat down on Callum Smith. His defense has gotten better. His offense is super potent. And when it was over, BC, the only question I could ask myself is, and we'll talk about who's next in just a second, but that's a separate question from when you think about who's out there at 160, 168, and 175, and you say to yourself, okay, who can beat this guy? Forget about who's, who he's going to fight. Who do you really believe can beat this guy? Dude, I don't know if I can name three boxers in those weight classes who can beat this guy. Well, you know, he shouldn't be this powerful. That's the key. A guy like Callum Smith should be able to, in a fight against a smaller guy moving up like this, go, okay, he's going to have the speed advantage. Canelo's going to be quicker on the counter, which he was. But the fact that he's quicker on the counter and can punch as hard or harder is ridiculous, and it shows you the 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 time. Look, Canelo waited out Triple G two years. It happened. It really did. He stayed at 155. We called it Canelo weight for a long time. But what he did during that time was slowly build up his body to the point where now he is a rock-solid super middleweight, not in terms of height, but in terms of body. And you mix that with the precise timing and the speed, and he's like the perfect puncher from that standpoint where – a guy like Calm Smith, who should be the bully with a seven-inch height advantage, ends up like Kovalev, right? Ends up being the demure passive fighter because the quickness of the counters are hitting them and they're going, I could get knocked out by this punch. Like, I totally have to alter my game plan and go into a shell because he's not supposed to be this powerful. We've seen guys move up in weight before and they have to be more boxers or speed. This guy is sort of putting it all together perfectly, Luke. I thought Sergio Mora uh, on the announce team nailed one part of it well. He said that Canelo's patiently aggressive. And, like, he hides behind that high guard so well where he's constantly in your face putting pressure on you. And that pressure, Luke, creates mental fatigue, physical fatigue, because he's in front of you the whole time. Yet he's not doing, like, let's say what Triple G does, which is work behind the jab the entire time and wear you out with that powerful jab. Canelo stays efficient. He's only throwing when it matters and he can score, but he's in front of you the whole time because he trusts in his defense, his ability to swivel at the waist, his head movement. He rolls with the punches. He's really just a brilliant freaking fighter that he can stay right in front of the bigger man, walk him down, and constantly put pressure on him. We do have to criticize Callum Smith in the biggest fight of his life not being able to get off the ropes at all, not committing to uh, his right hand early out of fear. The only problem with that is when you take away all your weapons to win, your only victory is going to the scorecards and making it. He made it. There's no victory in that. I do, you know, to some degree penalize Callum Smith and say, look, there had to come a point mid-fight where you're like, I'm not in this fight. The only way I'm going to be in this fight is to fight. He didn't have that in him. We kind of criticized Danny Garcia against Errol Spence for the same reason. But the reason why Callum Smith didn't have that in them, in him because Canelo was right there. Everything he throws is hard, fast, and perfect. And uh, that's why we call him the pound-for-pound pound best in the world. I, I have 
very rarely seen this type of evolution, Luke. Seriously, a guy who can learn from the defeats against Mayweather and completely just, you know, hammer. I mean, look at this. He's the biggest star in the sport, you know, pretty much by far. I mean, Anthony Joshua's massively big in, in Europe, but he's so big, Luke, but he hasn't had those screw-ups that other athletes of his, you know, financial uh, stance and his celebrity have had. He doesn't have a drinking problem. He's not, you know, womanizing for all we know. He's not doing anything that's holding him back. He seems to have really learned from Floyd Mayweather the things he should have in that loss. Not just that he had a horrible strategy trying to outbox a quicker boxer, but learn the professionalism. Learn to keep your body right. Learn to, you know, I mean, look, this is a guy who's got a stupid amount of money, but I'll give him credit. When you interview him and you talk to him, he's very humble. He's very nice. Uh, how do you get this great? You got to just work at it. And I think that we sometimes overlook that part of it. He's all in on his career, and uh, he's reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to point to one mistake, and this is obviously highly open to interpretation, you could talk about, what was it, the April 2018 or even before that, I think it was the issue with the uh, clenbuterol and the tainted, tainted beef. beef. Yeah. Um, you know, again, that's a matter of what perspective you want to take on it. Whether you think he's totally guilty or totally innocent, that's probably in the that's probably been the the one big blemish on his career. But of all the ways in which you can get a blemish relative to what we've seen from his peers, you know, not that much. I will defend, by the way, Callum Smith a little bit, BC, which is to say the following: I mean, both of these guys took this fight in terms of who they knew they were fighting on short notice, let's say give or take about a month. Both of them had claimed that during the pandemic they had stayed in the gym anyway. So they were in good shape physically, but from a strategy standpoint, they didn't have a ton of time to get around to it. But honestly, BC, when you watch this fight, even if they had a rematch, do you like Callum Smith to do any better? I'm not sure if this was if, he, if this was like the best he could do. I, we just, excuse me, let me restate that. This actually might have been the best he could do. I could see a scenario where uh, Canelo can just build on already the successes he's had and find a way to get the guy out of there a second time. I mean, you know, yes, there, you know, when when Smith was doing a little bit more and he was a little bit more active and Canelo had to think a little bit more and wait a little bit more, things tended to go a little bit better. But those were still rounds that he basically lost. I mean, one judge had it 9-3, to three and that seemed quite generous if you ask me. I thought the 119-109 scorecards we're much more in line with the reality of things. So it's like, you know, did Callum Smith necessarily put forth the best effort that we could imagine him putting forth? You know, maybe not. But does one really think that if he had more time to do this again, he'd honestly do meaningfully better? I no. definitely don't. No, Callum Smith is unfortunately a tweener on the elite level, which means he's not a big enough puncher to be a destroyer and a brawler. And he's skilled as a boxer, but not skilled enough to outbox the elite. So he's sort of in that middle ground. But one thing to close on Canelo, his IQ, Luke, and this is where, you know, it's weird to compare him to Floyd, obviously. But I compare him in that level where you get to this level of IQ. So did you see in the post-fight interview and also when the camera followed Callum Smith walking through the bowels of the Alamo Dome, his left bicep was yes. jacked up. You saw that, right? It was like crazy, hanging. Crazy. Canelo afterwards at the press conference said, we knew Callum Smith's left hook was going to be his most dangerous punch for us when we engaged. So he purposely targeted with his right hand all night, Luke, pounding away at that guard and just focusing exactly on the left bicep. And he essentially blew it up and dislocated it. I mean, there's some next level thinking in that, right? You know, we, we always say about Floyd, he's, he's one of the rare guys. I mean, Floyd's all-time great ability-wise. 
But they were putting gloves on Floyd when he was in the crib, right? He comes from a boxing family. He's punching doorknobs at age three. For as much as we want to talk about the Fighting Smith brothers, right? There's four of them. They were all good pros. Canelo's part of a brotherhood of seven. All of them were fighters. So it's like it's rare that you get somebody who grows up in this game. People like Deontay Wilder, right, comes to the sport at age 19. It's becoming more likely we see that than these people who grew up and lived this thing. Canelo Alvarez's mind is way far ahead of the competition right now. I know. And again, part of that is distance management. But now you, when you watch him fight BC, and you can just tell he knows what punches are coming next. And it's like Neo in the Matrix, just sort of slowly moving around as everything he expects to come does exactly that. It's really quite remarkable. Which brings us now to the bigger question. We saw what happened. Let's pivot to now what comes next. Basically, if you're Canelo Alvarez, you were already the pound-for-pound best and the biggest star in the sport. And, of course, I think the Saturday night solidified both of those things. So the question is, who do you fight next? Here's the choices that it seems to me, BC. There is a trilogy up for grabs with Gennady Golovkin, who had a big emphatic win over somebody who did not deserve to be fighting him, basically, on Friday night. Then you have Demetrius Andrade, who engaged in the stupidest debate imaginable with Chris Mannix <laughs> on The Zone. <laughs> You have Charlo sitting at 160 that I think would be an interesting fight. It's one that I would like to see. You have Artur Baterbiev up at 175 pounds. And you have Caleb Plant still sitting there at 168. Okay, BC, what is the, the right next fight for Canelo Alvarez? It seems Canelo is really interested, Luke, in collecting belts. And in not in a in a bad way, in like a good way, in an old school kind of way. If you have a, if you're in his division and you have a title, he's looking to collect it. I think what I want to separate in that is he wants to focus on 168. Part of what makes him so good in the ring right now is he's not killing himself to cut down to 54 or even 160 anymore. At 168, he said it in the interview afterwards. He's he's not he's comfortable. He's able to eat. He's able to be, you know, we've seen that in both combat sports. When you're at your natural weight, man, there's a difference. Obviously, he has the skill to back it up. I think he's going to focus on 168. I think him moving up to 175 that time against Kovalev was kind of a targeted look, Luke. Kind of like Roy Jones saying, my dream is to get a heavyweight title. So is there a guy I can get it against? Oh, John Ruiz. He's slower. He doesn't have a heavy power. He's more of a, you know, a busy guy. I can outpoint him. I think that's what he saw in Kovalev, a guy with a bad chin who's old and on the way out. I don't really think Canelo's a light heavyweight. He's a fantastic super middleweight. And him being in this spot as a promotional and network free agent, I think he's being serious when he says he wants the belts. So that's Billy Joe Saunders with the WBO, which would have to be on DAZN. And that's Caleb Plant, who has the W or the IBF, I believe, who fights on PBC, and also David Benavides, who had the WBC, lost it on the scale on that Showtime fight. Canelo just picked up that vacant title. I think those are the fights to make for him right now. It's interesting. Eddie Hearn, the uh, Matchroom Smart promoter who promoted this fight on Saturday, said in an interview afterwards that Canelo came up to him and said uh, something like three down, two to go. And what he meant by that was, uh, I beat three of your fighters already, Eddie, meaning Rocky Fielding, Daniel Jacobs, and now uh, uh, Callum Smith. And two to go, meaning Billy Joe Saunders and maybe Gennady Golovkin, too. So it would be interesting. I don't think Canelo wants the Golovkin fight. I don't think he thinks he needs it. But I do think he understands how badly the fans want it and how much people are still holding on to the fact that, you know, Triple G kind of got screwed over from the totality of the first two fights, which I also subscribe to. I just think at this point, Luke, that fight's past him. 
Triple G in this fight, also in the Derevinchenko fight, I mean, he's slowed down a lot. He's got a great tan. He's in shape. He still hits really hard. But it's like watching, um, I mean, he's very slow compared to what he used to be. He's not the destroyer he was. You know, it, it would be a great build to that third fight. There's storylines. It would probably be fun action because the first two were. But I think Canelo stops him. I mean, I, I'm, and I'm the, been the biggest Triple G guy of all time. I want to see Canelo challenge himself at this weight class. I get your want for something like a better B fight, but he brings almost no commercial value at this point to Canelo. I think it's much more likely you see him try to unify all four belts at 68 and then decide what's next. Do I go up to 75 for one more? Do I take a Jamal Charlo moving up? Do I take an Errol Spence moving up? Spence trying to fight him at middleweight. He was in the crowd on Saturday. A lot of options for Canelo. But I think at this point, Luke, we can trust that he's going to make the right one for us as fans. I mean, he he's doing this the right way. There's no playbook on how to be the biggest star in the sport. But he's doing this in such a fan-friendly way, even more than Floyd was able to. So I, I give him that tip of the cap. If he wants Saunders, if he wants Plant, I, I, I'm here. Front row. Let's do this. Yeah, I mean, Spence angling for a Canelo fight. I mean, get the fuck out of here with this. You got business with Bud Crawford and nobody else. I don't even want to entertain not to say that wouldn't be a fun fight sort of in a vacuum, but, like, given where we're at, I was like, get the fuck out of here with this. Uh, okay. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So what do I think should be next? Well, I mean, here's the way I look at it, BC. The Triple G fight to me, when they fought the first time, King Mo really disagreed with me when, we, when uh, he watched it, but I thought Triple G won that fight, okay? Yes. And I thought he got yes. a little bit screwed. In the second fight, I thought Canelo won. And more to the point, the adjustments Canelo was able to make. I mean, he fought totally different the second time around. That, I, mean, I was amazed at his growth and change in strategy and his ability to implement such a uniquely different game plan the second time around. I acknowledge that the second fight was close. I don't, I don't mean to say that there's no debate about that one either. Just for me, I recognize that I think the best case for saying Triple G got screwed comes from the first, not the second fight. That being said, BC, I don't know how you can look at these two guys today and decide that this fight is going to be even as competitive as the second one. 
Now, that's just speculation. Nobody really knows in the end. And I certainly agree that there is real market potential. I mean, everywhere Canelo goes, it has to be annoying that he still has to answer questions about whether or not he wants to fight Triple G and what about Triple G this and Triple G that. But I don't think that's the fight to make anymore. I think Canelo has passed him at this point. I think he's passed him by enough of a margin where I don't know if he stops him, but I certainly think he gets a clean and comfortable win. And all that would do for Triple G is remind folks that when it, when it came time for this trilogy to really be done, the guy who was better all along, even if you could argue um, in your mind opposite, would be Canelo Alvarez. It would it would actually undercut the value of the sort of robbery, or at least the questionable decision anyway, from the first fight. It doesn't actually service him to me. So if I'm Canelo Alvarez, or at least if I'm a Canelo Alvarez fan or observer, I also recognize that what I'm about to say is not what the market dictates. In fact, for that reason, I suspect it probably won't happen. But I'm going to argue for Artur Baterbiev. And the reason why I'm going to say that is because it's not that the fight with Plant doesn't hold value. Again, unifying all the titles at 168 would be obviously quite impressive. And there's ways to get it done without a whole lot of hassle and rigmarole in terms of the negotiations, given where they already are. But I would say, BC, that if you beat Callum Smith this way, can somebody really make the case that Caleb Plant has a much better chance than Callum Smith against this version. Well, totally of, different style, though. He has I understand, hand I, speed. He can box. I don't think he. I don't know if he can take Canelo's best punches, but can Caleb Plant can box, bro? I mean, you're, come on. you're the you're the biggest Caleb Plant fan there is besides his mom. So let's sort of like put that and caveat Jordan out there. Ready. I'm not telling you that Caleb Plant is trash. He is, if not the best guy at 168, with the second best. I mean, he, this is what we're talking about in terms of where he stands at 168. But the ease with which, I mean, Canelo didn't just get by Callum Smith. He walked over him. It was not especially close. And so I recognize styles make fights, and there are reasons to think it'd be more difficult. But BC, gun to your head, is Caleb Plant the guy to beat Canelo Alvarez? No the fuck he is not. No, I believe that he what? could last year. I believed it would be a really close fight. This version of Canelo now is is separating it because the one thing right. you can say negative against Caleb Plant is he ha after the Uskategi fight, he just has not fought elite competition. They've been right. setting him up against guys he can look great against because he's marketable as as a let's be honest as an unbeaten white fighter who can talk with a great backstory, <laughs> right? I mean, come on, right. you know? All right, so the last thing I'll say on this is if he goes the Plant direction, it's hardly a scandal. If he goes the Triple G direction, you get it. You know the market's going to dictate what the market's going to dictate. But to what if he me, bought Saunders and Triple G next the, next year. Man, you okay with that? Billy Joe, I'm not. I'm not interested in Billy Joe Saunders at all whatsoever. I have zero interest in that. Let me just say this last point. I'll pitch it back to BC. The operative question that I am working with, and again, this is just my interpretation. No one has to agree. But the only way I'm looking at this is to say, when I look at the landscape of the weight classes in which he is reasonably considering, who stands the best chance of giving this guy a fight or even beating him? And the clear, and you can even say Dmitry Bivol if you wanted to do that. But the guy I'm thinking about is Baterbiev. That guy, you can clearly say, would be like, you know what? If Canelo could beat him, then you're talking about an all-time great at that point. That would be so phenomenal that it would be shattering in, in the boxing world. That's why that's the one I want to see. So here's what we need for that to happen, okay? We would need Canelo to, to collect the, the two belts he doesn't have first at 168. And we would need ESPN and top rank to really make Baturbiev a star. Really just, I mean, like, look, be, better be Baturbiev, however you want to say it. He's yeah. right there at, like, number 11 on my pound for pound list. The guys, what he did to um, 
to Alexander uh, Vodzik and sent him, took his title, knocked him out, and retired him. I mean, this guy's a force of nature. Canelo would have to outbox him. It would be a great challenge, but you need that guy to get popular first to make it really worth it. I do think if Canelo gets all the four belts at 168 and is only, you know, let's say 32 years old at the end of that road, yeah, he's probably going to look at 175 and see, can I do this? He's going to need stars, though. So that's why I don't, I don't shit on the Spence idea. Maybe not right now, to your point. Also, I'm not convinced Canelo really wants to make 60, 160 ever again. So he would, he would also, he would kind of need Errol Spence to defeat Bud Crawford first, become that st- that star of stars at welterweight, and then make it worth it for Canelo to come down and wait. I also don't want to throw away this idea. I do think it's a short window for it. So before we move on to MMA, let me just say this. Uh, my my Rafe Bartholomew, you know him, uh, my great boxing mind, my my brethren in this podcast game. He always wanted Andre Ward to come out of retirement and fight Canelo. And in the beginning, mm. before Canelo established himself at 168, I was like, no man, he's too big. He's not as marketable as other big stars. Ward, by the way, going into the Hall of Fame in the 2021 class. Luke, he'll be 37 in a couple months. I think it's a small window, meaning you have to do it next year. But would you be down for that? Ward, they could do it at 175. Ward is a legitimate light heavyweight with speed, boxing mm. ability. He would, in theory, have a power advantage over Canelo as well. That's That would be the toughest freaking challenge of a remaining legend, unbeaten guy who could give you such critical value. And Canelo loves stockpiling these names on his resume, right? When Andre mm. Ward retired three years ago, he was your pound-for-pound king after beating Kovalev twice. There'd be a lot to gain in that fight. Not maybe pay-per-view buys as as much as others, but just in terms of like, did I beat everybody in my era that I could have? I think there's a small window. And even though Andre Ward is back and forth on the idea, I think there's part of him that wants one more big challenge. It's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought of it because I actually rewatched the Vosdick and uh, Better Be Everteria fight. Again, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, but... Um, and I remember in the beginning of that fight, Andre Ward is like, you know, I left the division in good hands. These guys are, these guys are amazing. And you could kind of tell he was like all yours fellas, you know? So, um, for the reasons you articulate, not a big sales thing, uh, because I don't think his two fights with Kovalev sold all that well. In fact, I remember one of them only had like 10,000 people there. It was not, it was not necessarily the biggest box office draw. Uh, but that'd be an interesting name. I mean, I, I don't hate the idea. Uh, listen, I don't hate the idea. I actually do not hate the idea. It's just of all the possibilities to go to that one wouldn't be the worst thing be, uh, to me better than, you know, a lot of other choices, but it's not my first choice. It's not even my second or third. It's just an interesting sort of sideways thing of looking at it. Um, sort of the way I go. Uh, all right. Well, before our audience uh, decides to completely kill us and uh, abandon us completely, BC, let's go to their favorite sport in the world. It's time to talk some MMA. All they right. They hate Last... boxing. They hate us, Luke. They hate us. They hate boxing so much. It's like, dude, it's like we're not talking about nobodies. We're talking about the best <laughs> fighter in the fucking sport. <laughs> like, what do you want? And by the way, I had someone reach out being like, why don't y'all talk about kickboxing? Because people fucking don't like kickboxing. That's why. I mean, kickboxing is part of the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's like kickboxing. It's for, kickboxing is like Brazil. It's forever the sport of the future. I like kickboxing. I was watching a bunch of it last night. I was watching a bunch of uh, Joseph Altolini last night. I was on hey, a bit Joseph Altolini. Bader Hari got sent to hell by that guy, right? By Joseph uh, Adik Bowie, who's actually a cool guy. I interviewed him a couple times when I worked for Glory. I actually like kickboxing, but the notion that like 
oh, well, if you, you know, the, the, the complaint is that we cover a sister sport to MMA. It's like, you want us to cover another sister sport to MMA that no one watches? That's what you want us to cover? Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a terrible idea. But all right. Forgetting all of that for just a moment, let's talk about MMA. All right. So we had the last UFC show of the year at BC. And we had the old guys getting it done. I had my instant reaction on the Morning Combat channel and, of course, a million other podcasts that I do to make sure to undercut this one. But, BC, let's go to you first on this one. Dude, it was not close. Wonder Boy won that one. His face was fucked up. I mean, it was, you know, it was a difficult fight in the sense of physically getting through it. But competitively, BC, not close at all. What, What can you say about Wonder Boy? And is he close to a title shot? Yeah, he's close enough. He's going to need a big win over a top five guy. So I think it was smart of him to try to throw Masvidal's name out there, considering when they fought a couple years ago, Thompson beat the brakes off him, and it was a dominant performance. What Thompson showed you in this one, Luke, is that even at 37, he's still a guy that will soundly beat the B-plus and B-minus fighters. But can he beat the A-minus and A in championship guys? We're going to find that out, hopefully. I think he deserves one more run. When you look at the totality of having gotten so close in the two-fight series with Woodley for the title, I thought he kind of got jobbed against Till. But, you know, you can debate it all you want. He's overcome some injuries. He got injured again in his knee in this one. So we'll have to see. I just wonder, because I was so high on Jeff Neal coming in, how much all of these things Jeff Neal's talking about after the fight are true and should skewer our you know, love for the performance Wonder Boy did. I mean, Jeff Neal's saying he had no use of one of his eyes from the end of the first round on. Now he's saying, did you see this, Luke, this headline this morning? He's saying he had, like, cardiac arrest during training camp, and he had, like, uh, uh, something else. I mean, this is, this is getting out of hand a little bit. Do you, do you know the specifics of this, Luke? Well, I know he had a severe medical ailment prior to the fight, which had, you know, kept him out of competition circles for a while. I think he, had, he was dealing with a bout of sepsis, and it was very serious. So the fact that he could get over that and just come right back to fighting, and I mean, I'm sure he took some of his time. I've not seen the specific allegations, but like, would it Look, surprise you? Congestive heart failure, he says he had. I'm sorry, I was looking at the, the story. Congestive heart failure, he said he had during training camp. How the hell was no. he cleared to fight this, Luke? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I mean, these pre-fight medical screens, dude, they're not all that money. You know, there's something. I mean, they obviously hold some value, but... It's hard to know where to begin and end with that. I mean, I'm happy to entertain the idea that that wasn't the best Jeff Neal we'd ever seen by a million miles and that, you know, it's going to take him a couple more fights before he even feels like himself again. Fine. But I'm not really ready to, to, to slander Wonder Boy either. I, I mean, let's be honest about something. I was looking this up, BC. Wonder Boy made his debut in 12, 2012 or so. And some of the names he was beating back then, like the Dan, I think I have it up here somewhere. I want to pull it up if I can. Oh, his um, resume is uh, freaking amazing. No one gives him enough credit. But also, it's like he had a, he has he's had an eight year run, and he's still beating top contenders. He was sitting at five before this fight. He's going to at least be there for the time being, if not go up maybe a, a tick or two. But this is my point. You know who else had an eight year run in the UFC, but then just got bounced out? John Fitch. Now, John Fitch, when he was around in the UFC, he wasn't the boogeyman to Saint Pierre, but it was pretty much like if you're not fighting Saint Pierre. This is the other best guy in this weight class, by and large. Uh, and again, that, that faded over time eventually as well. And to be clear, Thompson has had his losses. But to be eight years into the UFC's welterweight division, 
to be 37 years old, 38 in February, and to still be as good as he is, as nimble as he is, you know, is he as sprightly as he once was? No. He took a lot of damage in this, even though he routed him. And we talked about pre-fight, even though his defense is still good, his his chin is certainly not what it once was. Um, just understandably, the, the passage of time and, and, of course, the accumulation of damage, even if it's relatively minimal, will still have an impact over the course of your career. But I want to just say, to be that long in the UFC's welterweight division and to still be beating young guns the way he is, that is extremely, extremely impressive. Now, to your point, BC... How close is he to a title shot? Well, he's still got a little bit of a ways to go. One, two more fights, probably at least. I don't know if he can beat the very best guys in this weight class, but I just think that there's another way to measure greatness. Eight years in one of the most difficult weight classes, when you look at the guys he was beating early, I don't even know if those guys are still in MMA. I don't know if the Dan Stigens are still there. I mean, Jake Ellenberger's retired. You can go on and on. Oh, J- yeah, he uh, Johnny out, Hendricks, gone. He knocked out Hendricks, yeah. Right. He, he All those up. guys, they're not even competing anymore. He's still there doing that. Dude, that is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, he stopped Robert Whitaker at welterweight. He beat Rory McDonald at a point where we didn't think he would do it that, that uh, convincingly. Um, I just wonder about Jeff Neal because... Wasn't he trying to take like a full time job during the quarantine to make ends meet because yes. you know he couldn't get a fight or whatever? I mean, you know, he gutted it out just the same to even have moments in that fifth round. So I give Jeff Neal a lot of credit. I just hope he wasn't coming in as a shadow of himself just to get a paycheck, which sometimes can be the reality in fighting. But yeah, you nailed it. Shout out to uh, a really strong performance for Wonder Boy. I mean, he's in incredible shape. He seems to be evolving his game i mean he made that comment before the fight that you know the wonder boy of five years ago wouldn't even be competitive today against the elite so he's he's really added wrinkles to that karate game. i feel like people figured out machida's rhythm of the weird karate style but wonder boy's sort of um been able to still use that to his advantage no one's really solved him completely in that regard but what he's doing right now is key luke he's back in the title conversation and as you know especially during covid times you just have to be healthy, in shape, and by the phone. You never know when he may end up getting a title shot. Yeah, and to the point, listen, I don't know what what health ailments Jeff Neal says. I don't take Jeff Neal as a liar. You know, if that guy says he has some health ailments, I'm perfectly willing to believe him. Okay, fair enough. But the fight before this BC, he routed Vicente Luque. You know, Luque had some moments in that uh, one as well. But you know what I mean? Ago. It's like, dude, you're not – I mean, Vicente Luque is not a chump. He is a very good fighter. And, of course, at this age – uh, Wonder Boy still beating him, but I want to list some of these names that Wonder Boy was beating back in his early UFC run. So this is him in the UFC: Dan Stigen, No Sean Burrell, Cl- uh, Chris Clements, Whitaker, who's now up a weight class, Patrick Cote, Jake Ellenberger, Johnny Hendricks, and Rory McDonald. Then of course he had the Woodley fights and Jorge Masvidal. I mean, you know, it's a different world, and he's still competitive. I just can't say enough good things about it. It's pretty remarkable. Now, BC, one more note on this. Somebody asked me, okay, maybe he's doing well at welterweight. Could he do even better with a switch to middleweight, Brian Campbell? What do you think? Could his fortunes be turned with a bit of a weight class change? Uh, I don't, I haven't seen anything that tells me, you know, you, you're not maximizing your opportunities right now. I mean, he, it doesn't seem to be like he's a guy who kills himself making welterweight, although I'm obviously not there with the sweatsuits on with him. Uh, I seem to like his reach and speed and having enough pop at this weight class. What are you specifically looking at, Luke, that moving up would help him with? Well, it gets to the fourth point. So let me use that as a bridge to bring in the conversation with Jose Aldo. So Jose Aldo, he also looked awesome 
on Saturday night. I mean, that's the best he's looked at bantamweight. Maybe there's individual rounds you could pick out, and you want to put the point number four on the board there, boys. That'd be great. You could pick out individual rounds, you could say, from the Yan fight or the Morais fight or something like that. But as a comprehensive performance, soup to nuts, this was amazing. And so here's the thing I was thinking about, though, BC. As good as he looks, and he looked good, and I want you to say what you learned watching him, you know what's kind of funny? His fortunes are not really different at bantamweight than they were at featherweight. I mean, consider for a second. He had lost twice by stoppage to Max, but he rebounded against Moicano and Stevens and then lost, you know, a decision to Volkanovski, but he didn't get beat up or anything. He just, he just he got outpointed. Okay, you're not going to win the title, but you're still going to beat really good guys. Then he goes down to bantamweight, and let's say even he won the Marais fight, and then, of course, um, you know, he lost the Jan fight. Okay, he wins this one. He still can't beat the guys who are going to win titles, but he's going to beat the other ones. In other words, he's in a position now where we're still talking about how great he is, how dynamic he looks, but he didn't meaningfully like change his proximity to the title. He just kind of refreshed the opposition, refreshed the challenges, and I think we're all pretty impressed by that. That's why I was asking a little bit about Wonderboy, but your, your thoughts on Jose Aldo. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think for Aldo, specifically on the weight class change, how, why it's helping him so much is the guys are smaller. They're not as long. They're not as powerful. And it's able to to really uh, – hey, can we get Luke off the screen? Who the hell's directing this show? Is this a J problem? There we go. Thank you very much. Um, and, you know, it's just basically like uh, he exposed – Marlon Vera was red hot. This was a great fight on paper. But he showed you that there's levels to the skills and the experience and the expertise – Luke, what's crazy is we're rightfully praising Jose Aldo. And we're going to talk in a second what big fights, you know, should be left for him. And is he all that far out of the title picture despite losing the title shot to Peotre Jan? Let's not forget that had he lost this, Luke, we're probably sending him to Bellator in our eyes, right? We're probably like four straight losses. Is this going to be one of those sneaky financial cuts for UFC? He needed this bad. I didn't understand the whole tattoo on Tati uh, that that was a patch that he pulled off. But I will say this. Um, this is a badass victory. The same way the knockouts of Stevens and Moicano came at a time that seemed delicate and sensitive of, to whether he was the same guy because he went out on his sword in such uh, dramatic fashion twice against Holloway. I mean, look, Holloway beat the piss out of him twice. I mean, you know, and I, I was really worried about him at that point. Those wins... Um, recalibrated where he's at this one did too and this is really the sign of a legend I mean I don't think we give even Frankie Edgar enough credit for his constant reinvention this is a really nice win in that regard and uh he's fun at this weight class he's he's got monster power and yet can still pull out the tricks as he had to do in this one to really show Vera that 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 there's levels Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And, and doing it everywhere, at distance, but when Vera wanted to clinch, stuffing takedowns, creating separation, and then that third round taking his back. I mean, it was just remarkable, dude. He is still very much a force in mixed martial arts in the bantamweight division. Maybe not the best guy in that weight class, but he's going to give anyone who's not a very, very hard night. The thing that uh, is the through line for me, BC, that I just don't understand is 
Here's the one thing I don't get from the younger guys a little bit, and I'm no MMA coach, so there must be some kind of explanation that I don't understand. But if you look at Jose Aldo and you look at Wonderboy Thompson, there's a lot of tape on both of them. A lot of tape. There's a lot of known ways to beat them. Now, that's easier said than done, but I did not see Jeff Neal, and again, maybe he had a series of health complications. Who the hell knows? But Chito Vera was, I don't, for, all, for all we know, not in one of those kinds of Jeff Neal situations and was just giving the guy way too much space, way too much time. And you do that against a guy like Aldo, it's like, dude, we saw how Max beat him twice. You saw how Volkanovski beat him. There's lessons there. Like, what do you do well? Okay, let's take those things and use it towards a game plan of removing those conditions under which Aldo thrives. These are known conditions. It's not a mystery. And again, easier said than done, but it's, it wasn't like they were tried. He didn't really try them here. It's a little hard for me to understand that. Fair. That's fair. Sorry. Right. Sorry, Luke. No, no, no yeah. selling me there a little bit. All right, but it leads to an interesting question, BC. Okay, who should he fight next? I thought Aldo. I'm going to say this, BC. I wonder what you feel about it. Aldo calls out in the post-fight interview, I believe with John Anik, he calls out TJ Dillashaw, Brian Campbell. I believe, true or false, or you could say whether I'm right or I'm wrong, I believe this is absolutely the perfect fight to make at Bantamweight. And here's my case, and I want to know what you think of it. I'll make it very short. There's a lot of questions about how is TJ going to look, and nobody really knows the answers. Two years off. You know, what about the EPO? What about some of the injuries? By the way, he had both shoulders repaired. And we can tell with Jose Aldo, maybe he can't beat Peter Yan and maybe some of the very best guys. But if you're not one of them, he's going to beat you. It's the perfect test to see exactly where TJ is. And it's a huge opportunity for Aldo to gain some momentum with what time he has left at Bantamweight. Do you agree or disagree? No, I fully agree. And I'll even add on top of that, it might be his shortest path back to the title, Luke, because... While all those questions about TJ Dillashaw are right on, I mean, we just don't know, right? Could he be a, a, a you know, stop and job diet cola version of himself without all that juice, so to speak, or just the age? I mean, he ain't young and, and the injuries and all that. Uh, you know, UFC would be willing to put him in a title opportunity because of the name alone, Luke. I'm actually a little bit surprised he's not just parachuting back in to a title shot given some of UFC's matchmaking choices. So if you're Aldo, this might be your your only chance to get back to the title with a big win here. And the guy's coming in with so many questions. Aldo's been active and busy. And matchup-wise, I mean, look, uh, if TJ's on point, the speed and elusiveness are going to be tough for Aldo to deal with. But Aldo's also a, a, an incredible counterpuncher at this weight class where I think it might be Bull and Matador style that, that could play out very well for either of them. So I love this fight. I love two old names and stars. You add in the potential for title opportunities here. I really want to know who Dillashaw is because, Luke, you know, I was monster huge on him. I mean, I picked him to beat everyone he beat in that run before the drugs and, and the Cejudo. Um, I didn't think he lost to Asun Sao or Dominic Cruz. I'm not sure I've ever seen him lose in that regard. You know, I I even have an asterisk on the cutting down in weight loss to Cejudo. But when he got caught the way he did, um, I mean, Luke, I am a reformed, uh, thanks to you, a reformed believer in this whole drug thing that, like, they're all using. But it was a little bit shattering just the same to be like, man, was all that fake? Is he not that guy? Uh, I don't know if he can prove that he still is, Luke. There's a two years off is a lot when you're already like 34, 35 years old. So, yeah, perfect fight. Book it. 
Um, it can't be a, a main event on a pay-per-view, but it would certainly be a sp spectacular co-main. Yeah, or you could make it the main event for a fight night, depending on how the calendar rolls out. I, I just love everything about it. Now, I don't know TJ's willingness, but if you're TJ and they're not going to parachute you back into a title shot and you go out there and you fight Jose Aldo and you whip his ass, depending on the, you know, I mean, that's a, that not a given, but let's say that you do. Dude, they can't deny you at that point. I mean, there's no denying that at bantamweight, uh, even with the Marais loss, and, you know, he gave Peter Jan hell for a time as well, and then he has this win over Chito Vera. Dude, he can fight. He is still super, super good. Still athletic, still powerful. I think he's making the cut to 135 better and better each time. You can beat that guy, and you can beat that guy soundly. They will give you a title shot. At that point, the controversy, the fact of the matter, I mean, there's just so many things in terms of your favor to get it done. And... It just will be a hell of a fight. You know what's good to see from Aldo this time, BC? Leg kicks. Yeah. He didn't overuse them, but he had a yes. bunch of really good ones. Left hook to the body, right leg kick. He was hammering uh, Chicho Vera, forcing him to hook. stand switch. Yeah, his his focus now on the body. Although, yeah, look, bringing back the kicks, even the, the kicks he was checking uh, from Vera in the first round was very effective for him. But him as a targeted left hook to the liver guy now is extra dangerous, Luke. I, I love this version of Aldo. I mean, I, you know, it was tough to see uh, Peter Jan sit on his back and punch him in the back of the skull 25 times in a pool of blood. Outside of that, I've loved this version of Jose Aldo at Bantamweight. I mean, he's a he's a man down there, you know, and it's got to be a, a hellacious cut. I always thought he would go up to lightweight, but now I think about it, he's too small, right? That would have been disastrous. Right, no doubt about it. He's way too small. But at, at, at Bantamweight, there's a lot of life left in him. A lot of life left in him. All right, BC, let's get to point number five now. So good or bad, top or bottom, whatever you want to say, who else from this weekend, especially from the UFC card, because there were so many uh, fights on there, was uh, something else you noticed that you wanted to comment on? What would you say? I I got a lot of them because this card, let's give them credit, they packed in a lot of names and storylines that we cared about. I was blown away of Michelle Pineda, Luke, that he uh, didn't oh, come out with Oh, fuck the, you. He's so boring now. The, I'm not trying to stay on brand being against his ridiculous theatrics for the sake of it, but straight up after a, a thorough performance in his last fight, which showed you he might be able to figure this out and be for real, look, he's in there against a dangerous dude in Chaos Williams, and I don't care if you were not entertained, and yeah, maybe he didn't throw enough strikes, but he was the more tactical fighter. I never would have guessed in a million years that Circus Clown, Padeda, and Chaos Williams would put on a like tactical sparring match. But that's what it was. And guess what? Your guy, Pereira, as you would say, like an absolute J-hole, uh, not respecting South America at all, you linguistic <laughs> bastard. Uh, what I, what I, really, what I want to say is that uh, he looked good in that role. Look, I, I think the perfect merger for him is obviously using his athleticism in the right way, but also figuring out how to be more technical. He's showing us that. I wasn't disappointed at all. I saw people saying he was boring. Uh, maybe he didn't deserve that decision. No, that was a good-ass performance. This old guy on the porch with the shotgun loved it. Uh, yeah. There's no denying that that is, he, he, listen, he looked better in terms of the calculations needed to get a W at this level, but congratulations, everybody who wanted to remove any hint of personality that this guy had in terms of his fighting style. Now he's athletic and okay versus maybe not all that great, but capable of incredible moments of excitement 
and what do you certainly want, Luke? wacky. Do you want him to gas out doing cartwheels on the way to the Yes, cage? that what is exactly what I want. Yes, yes. Like, what, what do you prefer? You've got a better fighter now. Okay, but he's not that much better, and he's a lot more boring. That's what you want? BC? D sorry, I had to turn off the dehumidifier. First of all, don't tell me my business, devil woman. But, yeah, no, I want him to try to be as great as he can be. Obviously, I don't want him to be boring or take away some of the excitement. I just want him to figure out how to merge that excitement into moves that actually can help you win a fight rather than just... I have an awesome personality, and I will show it to you. Like, you can show me that during the weigh-in. When it's fight night, show me that you're here to win. All right? If not, then go somewhere else. Go take Chatri's uh, 48 billion views uh, of the fight. Okay? Please. BC, is Greg Hardy a good heavyweight or not? He might be Shane Carwin now, Luke, okay? Because for one round, he's like everybody on the planet watched that first round of him against Marcin Tybura, and we're like, oh, my God, he's way better than I give him credit. He has evolved at such a rapid pace. Shout out to Sugar Rashad Evans, who trains with him a lot. And then, you know, then he completely pulled a Carwin versus Lesnar and not only gassed out, but just showed remedial qualities on the ground. I mean, Luke, lost in this is the fact that Marcin Tybura is somehow 4-0 this calendar year, right? We don't talk about him in the hmm. Kevin Holland, uh, Kamzat Jemayev conversations. And I, I would, you know, you could have won a lot of money on that bet. But um, that's a bad loss for Greg Hardy. And I know that you people may say his last win, he kind of faded a bit, you know, before, before winning that. But uh, this is a bad fade, Luke. Uh, he's, you know, he's five minutes tough right now. He's got to figure this out. Uh, I, on the feet. He looked awesome. I mean, there's just no denying he looked very, very good. He was, if that fight had stayed on the feet, BC, for another round, I honestly think he would have stopped Tybora. I, I really believe that. Or, you know, gotten some kind of 10-8 round or something. I mean, he was, there was a major gap between them on the feet. And then the second round, once he ended up underneath and immediately Tybora went for that crossed wrist control, he was donezo. He had no ability to fight back. Now, you know, there was a lot of shots to the back of the head from Tybora, which I think deserves to be acknowledged. But I watched for preparation for today. I went back and I watched this morning. What was the fight before this one? The Maurice Green fight, right? It was yeah. the same kind of thing a little bit. Where on the feet, he looked way better than Maurice Green. And then on the ground, he ended up on top because he kind of, I think he knocked him down or Maurice Green pulled or something. He had good control on top for the most part. So it's not like his ground game in totality is terrible. His striking is very good and on top. Against most heavyweights, he's probably going to have enough to keep his balance or avoid the worst of things. But if he gets put on his back, holy shit, man. He looks like a wrestler from 2003 where they, these guys were just getting in to MMA from collegiate wrestling. and they had, Dude, they he looks like Art Jimerson. Come on, dude. He looked worse yeah. than that. I mean, seriously. I know, just, just give him the one boxing glove and call it a day. It was, it was alarming to me how different it was. And people always say, like, how long does it take to get good at the ground game? Dude, some people never do. Like, you could train your whole life and not necessarily be all that good. I don't know how long it's going to take him. But here's what I'll say. On the feet, dude, Greg Hardy has – he's as good as anyone – well, I want as good as anyone. He is very, very capable of winning fights at an elite level in the UFC. On the feet. I think that is true. But if you've got this kind of weakness – where you're like regional MMA level on the ground off of your back, dude, you have no hope. The one thing I will say for him that deserves to be still a little bit of a asterisk over the whole thing is I was trying to get a list of everyone 
who has made their pro debut in the UFC. And, and I know he fought Contender Series, but I'm going to call that UFC. And the answer there is, it's not a great list, dude. I mean, you got some of the older guys, like I think Tito Ortiz maybe, or BJ Penn or something. But the other ones, dude, like they don't really necessarily turn out to be all that awesome, like Amir Sadala. Your best case, BC, is going to be like a Matt Mitrione, who had some good wins, right? I mean, he beat Gabriel Gonzaga. You know, he had some moments in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, but it took him about four or five years to get there. Now, Hardy's been doing this two, three years, if you want to count the amateurs. He still has a long way to go. And again, on the feet, he has really looked good. But Jesus, titty fucking Christ, I mean, on the ground, that is such a liability. Anybody watching that is going to look at him and say, dude, we're going to get your ass from now until eternity until you figure that out. And he has a long, long, long way to go. So if you're on the list of dudes who made their debut in the UFC, history shows you can get better for sure. You can even beat good guys, but your ceiling is somewhat limited. Did you just say titty effing (laughs) my savior? Like... That just took anything I've ever done or said on this show purposely or by accident <laughs> in like. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sayings, actually. So there you go. God, I'm uh, offended by you. Yeah, yeah. He, th- he's he got to figure this out, Luke. Uh, uh, by the way, Tabura sent him to hell in the interview afterwards. He's like, I guess with everything Hardy was saying, I should call out Tyson Fury and Anthony well, Anthony Joshua right now. Oh yeah. I mean, right. you can see why he was saying it now. Like on the feet, not that he would beat those guys, but like, all right, on the feet, you know. He's got a little razzle-dazzle for sure. I'll, I'll right, give him that. Greg but Hardy on the ground, against, Jesus. Greg Hardy against Jake Paul in boxing. Who you got, Luke? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's that. Last but not least, we have to make a mention before we move on to the DMs from Donks. Um, what about Marlon Marais, dude? He's in a bad spot. That was a devastating loss, I thought. What did you make of what went... What, not only did what go wrong for him on Saturday, BC, what has gone wrong for him generally? I mean, look, he was a killer entering that Cejudo fight, and he looked great in the opening round. And I think, you know, I, I've actually talked to him about that fight, and he says, you know, I, I, I kind of went too aggressive and, and didn't gas out, but, you know, was was stamina uh, reduced enough for Cejudo to take over and beat me. And, you know, he, he, he thought he had learned from that. Well, look, I, I thought he beat Jose Aldo. It was close, but I thought, you know, he had a better third round, especially those last couple of minutes, and I thought he won that. He still showed you that he's super elite, but uh, what's happened since then, Luke? I want to make sure I have all my uh, my facts straight. For Marlon Marais? Yeah. So since that Aldo fight, oh, okay, he got he got spinning back kicked by Corey Sanhagen, and now he got stopped in the first round by Font. Um, right. Yeah, it's bad when you stockpile in, in, in succession stoppage defeats against elite guys because it's pretty damning to show you that you may no longer be elite. He's got something to figure out here, Luke. It's gonna. It could be a long road back, given how competitive this bantamweight division is. But uh, uh, this one, I think, even more than the other ones, showed you that that maybe something deeper than you know strategy or or stamina here is off. I'm not sure what it is, Luke. Yeah, I don't know what it is either. And folks who are being like, "Oh, what about Usada?" Dude, his physique hasn't changed a bit since coming over from World Series of Fighting. If anything, the guy looks more shredded, and he changed camps. You know, I don't know what the answer is either, BC. Only I think he does and the people around him. But it seems to me like taking well, a bit dude, of a break, dialing back got, the competition. 
Well, since he got to UFC, let's be honest, that split decision to Sun Tzu, which, by the way, he he uh, avenged by first-round submission, was a flip the coin. He took a split decision over Dodson. He stopped Aljo in the first round with a knee. He knocked out Jimmy Rivera. I mean, look, he he proved that he's a monster, Luke. And, right. And uh, something happened along the way. I don't know if he's not evolving anymore. I don't know what the issue is, but he seems to be coming back too quick. And when you pop stockpile big losses in a short time, it really messes with your standing and your financial bottom line. Yeah, taking some time, dialing back the competition, figuring out another approach, not changing everything that he does, but you know, retooling some things, I think, would get him to a different place. All right, so those are our top five topics. Let's now get to uh, where you get to ask us questions on Instagram. It's time now for DMs from dogs. Hee-haw. 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 All right, so I've not seen these. Let's pull them up. All right, uh, from at Liam We in Burge Live. No, excuse me, Liam Weinberg Live. <laughs> that's not the one I see on the screen, Luke. J- well, that's the Jay, one they sent okay? me, motherfucker. So Jay, I don't know. Is, Jay, can we bring you in here real quick, Jay? That is from normally last we week. That is the, what the fuck is happening, Jay? To, normally we don't bring in a guy just to shit on him, Jay, but. What, what's yeah. going on today? Today's an S show. What's happening here? Uh, today is a little bit uh, of an S show, as you put it. Um, those are the questions that were in there for me, uh, though. This one this one is not on me. So, um, Jesus. Typical lead. Jay's a great leader. It's, it's never his fault, right? Well, I, you know, I'm not throwing <laughs> anyone else under the bus. I'm just saying it ain't me. Listen, uh, listen, listen, Trumpberg. It's your fault today, guy. You understand that? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, some of those other things, uh, those were, uh, yeah, definitely my fault. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to read the questions that were sent to me from the the producer. That's fine. So. Yeah, I just jump back in, and uh, we'll see what we got. Let's see if we can no match it There's no escape from these technical issues, that's for sure. By the way, did Let's you realize, again. I didn't realize there's a senator named Ron Johnson. He's like Trump's biggest supporter, and he's also like a major conspiracy theorist. Or theor- I, I did, that's the problem. When we try to find Ron Johnson, everything comes up with that guy. It's like, yeah, we're, no, not we're, the not, same we're not guy looking who- for the... Who uh, raped Jay, but, you know, different. Yeah. Jesus. Right, right, you right. getting mad at me about the titty fucking comment? Good by Lord. By rape, right. I mean financially, Luke. <laughs> oh, not necessarily right. physically. Yes, not okay. physically. Right. Okay. Not, ne- not necessarily. Yes. All right. Uh, well, 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 you know, well, there's the clown car that happens behind the scenes. I'll try to read these out, BC. All right. Again, not the right fucking question on the screen at all. But, you know, who cares about getting the details right? As an MMA fan primarily, the Canelo Smith fight was so enjoyable to watch. And I believe a big factor was because of the lack of clinching in the fight. BC, what is your opinion on clinching in boxing and why it happens in some fights all the time and others not at all? Uh, well, it, it depends on, you know, styles make fights, the old cliche, but it's true. There are fighters who use clinching for their advantage. Why do people hate John Ruiz when he was heavyweight champion 20 years ago? Because he made the entire fight one punch and clinch. Second half of Vladimir Klitschko's career. When, you know, we always suspected that the chin could be suspect, he would land the big jab, then clinch you. It can slow the clock down. It can slow down a fighter who's quicker than you. I mean, Evander Holyfield used the, the, the hit and clinch method on Mike Tyson, you know, perfectly. Although, obviously, he let his hands go a little bit more on the inside. And he led with that ball dome to set up those cuts. But yes, Luke, it can be overdone. You need a referee who is not only um, willing to get in there physically and separate them, but one with balls to not let the fighters dictate that, to clean it up a little bit. I do think there is some strategy in it. Certainly in boxing, it's part of the game if you get hurt. In fact, we criticize the guys who get hurt 
but don't know when to clinch, don't know when to buy themselves some time. Remember when Floyd Mayweather got rocked by Shane Mosley in that second round? He grabbed onto Shane's arm and didn't let go of it. I mean, it's part of the game. I like it when it's not there. You love it when a great fight happens and you go, holy crap, I don't even remember there being a clinch. Um, you just have to have a referee that can prevent guys from abusing it. But I do agree. If you're an outsider looking in on boxing, which thankfully, Luke, we have for all the people that hate MK talking about boxing, it should be a separate show. I need, I need, uh, you know, we do have a separate show that's just about MMA. It's called the Luke Thomas Sunday Digest live chat. And it, and it really, it's great. I'm sure it's great. But, um, uh, I will tell you that uh, I am happy that a lot of MMA fans are watching boxing because we're getting hyped up for the big fights and, um, no clinching is, is a is a better view, Luke, overall, but there is a strategic need for it at times. Offensively and defensively. You can hang on when you get rocked. You can punch and use it to smother. Um, there's all kinds of ways where it can be beneficial to you. In this case, you wouldn't imagine a scenario where Canelo would want to would do it. You would imagine one where Smith would want to do it. But also, if you can get inside control and create frames, it's going to be hard for them to do that. You can break it off. So also clinch breaking, another part of the skill, depending on one's and perspective. In fact, clinch breaking was how among many other things, how Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey. Rousey tried to, you know, get her arm or a collar tie, and you could see her kind of fighting on the inside, pushed her off, head kicked her, and then that was all she wrote. All right, from at MT Booble. Popularity notwithstanding, popularity notwithstanding, which set of brothers had the better career? Diaz or Pettis? Popularity not an issue. I think on the basis of the UFC championship alone, it has to be Pettis. Well, I mean, Sergio's been good, but not great, right? Good, Pretty good. Pretty damn good. At times, pretty damn good. Not great. Right. But, I mean, the Diaz's have also been mountaintop shit shows. You know, early Diaz brother, early Nick was great, right? Uh, Connor version of Nate was, was great, but... um. But I get okay. We're not talking about popularity. We're not talking about pay per view buys. Just okay, but here's the thing: you you can say popularity doesn't matter, but the paychecks still do. And of course, that's a function of popularity. But it still kind of matters because part of the reason they take bouts the way they do is for maximum financial effect. They've been in bigger fights, both of them. All right, but how much? I think this is the debate: how much are we going to overvalue Pettis winning the UFC championship? Did he have any title defenses? Gilbert Melendez. Okay, so a title win and one defense. Did he ever win the WEC belt, or was that, or did Henderson have it? Uh, I think he did win that. I'll double-check, but I believe he beat okay, that. Okay, because I was going to say, how much are we overvaluing it when Nick has been the strike force champion, and Nate, while having never held the belt, losing his one title opportunity. I mean, look, when you go up there and fight Conor McGregor, who was right there at the top of the pound-for-pound pound rankings, and you beat him, I know there was a weight disparity, but still, it's pretty damn big. So it's not that Nate is devoid of big wins. If Pettis has the WEC reign and a UFC reign, then I think you got to, well, it's I mean, a here's great the thing. He took, a great he took titles, uh, Big Pettis took titles off of Benson twice. So he beat him at WC 53, the last WEC event, and that's when he won the championship. But then he goes to UFC and loses to Clay Guida immediately, right? First fight after. He beats Benson uh, in 2013 for the UFC title. And then he submitted via guillotine choke Gilbert Melendez. That was, a, that was a totally legitimate win. That was six years ago. And then he lost three in a row after that. And it's like, you know, uh, the belts matter, but I don't, I don't know. If you're asking the totality of the two, both of them have been in bigger fights. And I think both of them, you know, collectively have bigger wins. That, that's my opinion, but I would go Diaz. 
Anthony has a better career in terms of up like the highest thing he reached. But the like Sergio has done well to your point, but he hasn't like won anything special. Yeah, you're right. I was over. I'm overvaluing that. That the look. Let's break it down. Nick versus Anthony, who has had the better non popularity or money? Who has had the more distinguished career? I guess it's a push in some ways, right? I mean, Nick Diaz was great in the beginning. So Nick's wins here. He's got a lot of good ones, but he's got a lot because from a different Nate- era. Nate definitely beat Sergio by far. So yeah, the Diaz brothers. Even if Nate, even if Nick is is dead even with Anthony, they win this debate. I'm wrong. I'm dead wrong. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Diaz. Like, what is Nick's best win? Is it BJ Penn UFC 137? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Then he, oh god, he turned his face into a hamburger. Yeah, that was a great fight. Uh, because his I other wins. I mean, these are his other wins, right? Josh Near, who was good at the time, because that was 2006. The original, the dentist. And then in Elite XC, Thomas Denny, Frank Shamrock, Scott Smith, uh, Marius Zaromskis, Hayato Sakurai, KJ Paul Nunes. Daly, bro. Paul Daly. And he's got Paul Daly. Those were his last two wins, was Paul Daly and BJ Penn. Mm, Anthony's got better wins than that. Uh, yeah. And Anthony did beat Wonderboy. I mean, let's give him that credit, right? Yep. I went up a weight class and beat his ass. It's true. Yep. And he hurt Tony in that fight. That was good. See, that was a fun-ass fight. People never talk about that fight. Ferguson right. Pettis, that was fun. Right. It's a good point. Uh, you know what? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I think Pettis is probably your dominant performer in terms of just elite wins than the other ones. But the two Diaz brothers together have been in really big All fights. Right, what about Nate? What are we missing on Nate here? What, He's got the Conor McGregor win. Um, what else has he got? Let's sort of put, let's pull Nate's resume up. Here I think he beat Cowboy, right? He beat, he beat the fuck out of Cowboy. He was slapping him around, giving him the finger. Uh, Conor McGregor, Michael Johnson. He beat Anthony. Oh, you know what? He beat Anthony Pettis. I forgot about that. At UFC 241, yeah. uh, Gray Maynard, Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone, Takanori, Gomi, Marcus Davis, Rory Markham, Melvin Gillard, Josh Neer, Kurt Pellegrino, Alvin Robinson, Junior Asuncao, and then Manny Gamburian. So, it's, 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 it's a great question. It's a great it really question. Is. It really is. Anthony, top heavy in that family. I mean, Sergio's got a big win in UFC, though. He's got one big one, right? Didn't he beat uh, uh, Benavidez, yeah, he I believe? I think he'd be Benavides. Let's move it along if we can here to at Dilio underscore two. Who's more likely to win a title in 2021? Jay, the producer, Wonder Boy, or Jose Aldo? They didn't actually ask about Jay, the producer. I'm just doing it to throw him under the bus. Wonder Boy or Jose? Uh, Jose. Yeah, I would say Jose as well. I mean, he. I don't think he, can, he he's like the likeliest guy oh. to beat the very top ones. But I think he gets Luke, closer than they're wrestling does. heavy at the top of welterweight. I think right. Covington and and uh, and Usman and probably even Gilbert Burns all beat him, right? Uh, Gilbert Burns is the interesting one because you know here's the thing: Wonderboy's got good takedown defense. You know, yeah, uh, but I don't know. Usman will get him down though. I mean, yes, let's, let's, Usman, Usman will put him up against the cage and then just pin him until he finds a way to get him to wrestle to his hands and you know they just work that process i don't know if gilbert's quite there yet covington i think can do that as well so yeah i like those two guys to beat i'm not saying gilbert can't do it i just i want to see how gilbert looks against kamaru first and then i guess we'll you know we'll make a choice from there then because again if- i then again look aldo came up decidedly short against jan do you like all those chances any better should aljo or sanhagen have the belt aljo or sanhagen Sandhagen, no. Aljo, I don't know. Again, Styles McFights, and I know Aljo just ran over 
Corey Sanhagen, but I still think Sanhagen's ability to adapt on the feet and show all those looks, it's like a really modern game that I think could give Aldo some problems. Aljo can fight long, but I don't think he could retreat to the ground against Aldo. That'd be kind of an issue for him, right? Because Aldo's takedown defense is fucking dynamite, right? So, so it'd be on the feet. And, he, and Aljo can stick and move, man. He's really good at that. But it would be a little bit closer because of the way the styles work, right? That's hey, Luke, the way I would real, look at it. Real quick to close on that Sergio Pettis uh, conversation. Here's his big wins. John Moraga, Brandon Moreno, Joseph Benavides, Tyson Nam, and then in Bellator he beat Bandejas and uh, some guy you never heard of. So um, that's pretty fucking like good, man. It's not bad. It's not bad. Maybe, maybe it's yeah. the Pettis brothers. I don't know. I, that's, that's a it's a really great question. That's a pretty good uh, run right. that he's had there. Yeah. From at from at M Porter four forty. Hey Luke, is twenty twenty one the start of a new decade? You bitches know that it is because zero no, is not a no. year. There is no year zero. No. But but listen listen. You want to do the Gregorian calendar thing and start your year at, you know, or your decade, I should say, at one and, or don't know, no, at 90 and then go to, you know, 99. And then you want to start it at, you know, 2000 to 2009 and then 10 to 2019. You bitches can do that if you want, but all of Luke, us who know the math. Year 2000, a the year 2000 was not only not part of the 1990s. It's a whole new freaking century, bro. Okay, so don't give me this BS. Don't give me this. Well, at William and Mary with our sundials while we played quarters <laughs> in our frat. No, get get, get out of here, right? Yes. Hey, by well, the way, was, you're there, bury there the was lead no your... year zero, so it, by definition, there would have to be a new decade. But okay, you know, are you going to bury the lead on your damn tattoo, Luke? Uh, well, hold on. But it's also nominal versus uh, what's the other kind of way? So nominally, um, God, what are the two kinds of? Hold on. There's two kinds of uh, uh, ways to measure this. There's the nominal way, and then there's the I forget. In any case, Anno Domini. Yeah. Hold on. Now, now, you know, now I'm doing this nominal. Hey, Luke. Nobody cares. Can you just show your tattoo already, please? I mean, what is this? A map? Yeah, well, it's like I can't really do it on. I mean, yes. Hold on. Let me pull it up here. I don't. You can't really see it a little bit. Yes. Wait. There. Yes. So Look, there's that's my fine tattoo. artistry. Yeah. That's fine artistry. You know? I you put up me a, a text uh, of it, and I was impressed. Even though you wrote, "Don't worry, if it's not for you, it's okay." Well, I didn't even get to shit on it or like it. You're already like, "I know you're not going to like it." Well, just because people who don't know anything about tattoos think that they do, and then offer opinions that are stupid. But you did How not do, do that. I know anything so I about tattoos, that. Luke. Okay, so you, I say you fall between the scale of the back of Kevin Lee's head and Darren Elkins' danger tat. Somewhere in the middle there, Luke. Okay. Thank you. By the way, the difference is nominal versus ordinal decade. So it can be both of us being right. But definitely, there is no such thing as the year zero. So all of you idiots who think that there is can suck on these baby please testicles. All right, and last but not least, we see the <laughs> question that matters the most. At heavy.falcon, what's the best kind of fry? Waffle, wedge, steak, something else. No special situation, occasion, or location. Give me one fry to rule them all. Uh, Arby's curly fries are the best fry that ever happened. You fucking ape. Why don't you go finger paint with your uh, your kitten, Coco? Really, Luke? Really? Yes. I mean, they're they're freaking phenomenal, okay? Who the First fuck all, eats at Arby's besides raccoons? I mean, <laughs> what are you? <laughs> Dude, beef and child beef and cheddar for days, bro. For, come on. What's wrong with you? Uh, first of all, steak fries suck. Waffle fries are awful. Steak fries. Are you great. out of your mind? I'll go, I'm with you on the steak fries. They're fat and stupid. Fine. No, waffle, waffle fries, fries suck. Waffle okay, fries are me? a little tray for dipping 
They're wonderful. No, I love no, waffle, waffle fries. fries. Really good, skinny, regular fries are obviously awesome if they're perfectly done, not oversalted. Perfect. Uh, sweet potato are fan, fan friggin' tastic. There's no I was going to ask if sweet potato qualified for this conversation because yes, sweet potato uh, yeah, I, qualifies, I but you've never had a sweet potato fry that had like sturdiness. They're always soggy. You got to eat them with a fork. No, well, no, that's because no, I, no. I think that a lot of places yes. make them shitty, but but and you're right. More often than not, they do come that way. But you can make them yourself at home, and they're just fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm, does this at not home, count? At home, I've made them sturdy when they're a little bit thicker. But if you try to make a sweet potato fry like you make normal fries, they are always soggier and flimsier. I think they leave them in too long. I mean, it's it's a it's a potato. Like, what's the difference? Why why well, is fry, it so hard? First of all, fr- I don't understand how fries are the worst reheated food ever. Like, uh, uh, basically, true. that in fish, you have to eat it live and hot and ready. Um, but do you count like the new evolution of like disco fries and gravy on it and you know poutine and all that stuff? No, I that think just- it's just. I mean, I think it's more. Not that's more of a dish. I think we're talking about just the the fry itself. I'm going to go waffle fry. Jay, what is your number one fry? Is it the, I think, is it the I think fry I'm that has the, our correct I'm DMs from Donks slides? I am with you here. Waffle fries. Al- although the way that you guys hate on steak fries is inappropriate. They are very good. Steak, steak fries are for, you know, steak? people who had classes down by the boiler room in high school. That's who those are Waffle for. Waffle fries are so lame. Lame, yeah. How, you, yeah. Motherfucker, no, you go no. to Arby's. I mean, there are three people that Bro. go to Arby's. I've All right, I, I'm going to guarantee. Life, I'm going to guarantee right now. This is a typical Luke overreaction. If I ask you the last time you ate Arby's, it'll probably be like 1986. Yet you're a freaking expert. I know it. Luke, when was the last time you had Arby's curly fries? 86 might be pushing it. Um, I'm not sure. Now my brother, like yeah, you, see, there is you go, a, there you go. Thanks for being an expert on something you hold know. On, hold on, hold on. My brother, like you, also goes to Arby's like an absolute trash panda, and he likes their curly fries as well. So I have been around them within the last two years. I'm sure they're fine. I'm not telling you that the curly fries are bad, but we're talking about one fry to rule them all, and you have the temerity to overrule Chick-fil-A waffle yeah. fries? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Who are you, Osama Bin Laden? I've had those that's a an lot. Osama they're, Bin they're Laden fine. take. Luke, that's like saying vanilla is your favorite ice cream flavor. Get out of here with this, okay, Luke? I it don't... is my favorite ice cream flavor. <laughs> that's actually a true thing. I love that's vanilla ice cream. So, that's Me too. so lame. Uh, Jay, too. Yeah. Jay. Although, throw some no. cookie dough in there. It doesn't make it better. Hey, Jay, in addition to cookie dough, can you throw in slides from DMs from Donks? No, I don't have any. Oh, interesting. That's fun. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, BC, uh, it's a shit show, yeah. which means we have to get to the official shit show part of the show. Take it away, good sir. Hey, I got a great batch this week of, of not only curly fries, but these videos. Uh, we scour the globe, Luke. You know what I mean? High lows in between. Good, the bad, and the ugly in combat sports. It's, have you seen this shit? Let's start off with uh, DAZN Boxing on Saturday, Luke. Was there a better entrance in 2020 than Canelo coming mm. in to fire and a mar- mariachi band playing the final countdown by Europe, Luke? Come on. Bro, how much COVID was spread in that audience? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that show should have been sponsored by the Corona. The coronavirus. The coronavirus just had a field day with that That's audience. a big dome, though, Luke. It's a big dome. There's only 15,000 people in there, you know? Oh, yeah? Is that what happened? Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, were you in on Canelo's celebration dance? Look, mo- most things Canelo does is pretty cool. His tattoos are getting a lot out of control, but do you like this golf celebration dance? Is it a golf celebration or like a almost like a baseball bat one, too? Also, I mean, who holds a be... golf club like a like an oar when you're canoeing? 
Well, he's, yeah, he has boxing shot. gloves on, first of all. I doubt like he a, plays cricket, Luke, so I think that's no, golf. A, okay? That's a hockey slap shot. Hey, oh, that Mexican might be the slap shot. Hockey, Jay, come on. Dude, oh, you, right. you, can't, you, you can't put your gloves together like this for like uh, a, a, a golf club? You know what's la- <laughs> what, what is lame about Canelo? His slogan, no boxing, no life. That's pretty lame, right? You see that on his sweatshirts and hats all the time? Uh, No. Right. If that's a golf swing, this dude's never. Dude, probably he, never uh, listen, no boxing, no life just has no value. That's not nearly as bad when we had to tolerate RG3 here when he would have all of his stupid fucking catchphrases. No pressure, no diamonds and shit like that. I'd be like, RG3, listen, you have a robotic leg and you're 23. Your career's over. Get the fuck out of my face. Right. Wow. Wow, Luke. So would you say Jason Campbell was a better Redskins quarterback? No. Well, uh, uh, he was better over the long haul, but RG3's 2012 season was, or 2013, whatever it was, was pretty fucking magical. All right, uh, let's go to the Canelo undercard. Did you see this heavyweight bout? Julian Fernandez called on Frank Sanchez. He's like, here, hit me on the chin. And Sanchez sends this guy to hell via through the ropes, Luke. Did you see how dangerous this was? He falls back on the on the photographer podium. Luke, if that thing wasn't there, this guy's this guy might die. I mean, he might be taken back of the skull to the ground. You see this? You know what? If you ask someone to kick your ass, can't be surprised when they succeed. Can't be mad at them. Jake, you can you show us a slow-mo replay of this? Look at this replay. Bah. I mean, shout out to Sanchez. He spars with Canelo. He's a he's a good-looking, unbeaten heavyweight, and he sent this guy Fernandez. Wow. Yeah, those yep. were goodbye. Nobody helping him out. Nobody there to 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 grab onto. Wow, that's that me after my fifth dump of the day. Yeah, you've you already had four today. You're on a good run. All right, let's go to uh, Showtime Boxing, Luke. Unfortunately, we did not get the full Jerron Boots Ennis, Ennis experience in the welterweight co-main event when this headbutt with Chris Van Eerden after Ennis was piecing him up a bit brought an end to the fight. Luke, we're going to talk about the scoring in the main event later, but would you say of the three fights, we had one controversy of a scoring and two cuts ending what looked to be fights that were on their way to be pretty good? That's cursed, brother. I know, and Jerron Ennis is a guy I've got my eye on, too, and I know Showtime does, and PBC, obviously. Um, I was so upset about this. This was the fight, honestly, like even more than the Canelo fight, this was the one I was looking forward to the most this weekend, and uh, what are you going to do, man? We had a clash of heads yeah. in the UFC as well. Like uh, That's what happened with the main event for Wonderboy and Jeff Neal, and I'm sure it affected both of them pretty badly. It was a bad gash. I guess we don't have a good look at it here, but it was a really bad gash on Van Herden's hell on his head. And and also, by the way, the opener had a really bad cut on Piano's head, and they said the doctor said he could see the nerves inside of it, Luke. Wow. Wow. All Ooh, right. Jesus. Hey, let's hey, speaking of showtime, I really like that video package they did. Really celebrating how hard it is to put on fights, whether you're boxing or MMA in 2020 in the, in the fight sphere, in the Mohegan Dome there. And uh, Brian Custer put out this picture of the team on uh, – Jay, can we go to it, please? There we go. Shout out to the team, Luke. It hasn't been easy, whether we're talking UFC or anybody, to put on these fights. And uh, me, I've been in a few different bubbles this year, and it, you know, you're basically a slave to the hotel room. It's not easy to get this going. I did want a tip of the cap to our friends there at Showtime who who got together yeah. for a picture. Well, hold on, we can shout them out left to right, right? So it's Felix De Jesus, then it's Al Bernstein, yeah. classy Jimmy Lennon Jr., Brian Custer, the guy kneeling, Steven Espinosa. Behind him, that's what Rafa Marquez, right? Then Marquez, you have yeah. uh, Mauro Ronaldo, and then you got Mr. Farhood. 
Shout out. Great people. Love them. They love them. Love the family here. And I really like Chris de Blasio's scarf during that video package uh, as they broke down how hard it is to put on the fights. Thank you, Showtime, for padding my bank account. It's been a great year for you guys, despite everything. Uh, and, and good to see this closing out. Uh, Luke, let's go over to DeZone's thir- Friday night. Sorry, Friday night Triple G card. Did you see on the undercard this guy Rashad Mati? He fell down on a slip, Luke, and then he does a kip-up. What is this, WWE? Shawn Michaels? Not bad, right? Who does he think he is, Michelle Pereira? (laughs) Well, Luke, I don't know if you happened to see his ring entrance, did you? Because this guy, Rashad Mati, calls himself the Albanian Batman, although it says Albanian Bear on the uh, video screen there. Luke, he not only came out dressed as the Albanian Batman, he came out to the Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way. Your thoughts? Um, at least he's not in the trench coat mafia? I don't know. I don't know. Tell me why. Yeah. Um, well, look, if you're going to come out and act like that much of an a-hole, you better win the fight. Let's, let's advance the slide here. He did get a little bit of a nice stoppage win. Look at this spaz out to force the, the ending here, Luke. Switch the stance, both sides. Yeah, nice. Not bad. bad. All right, not bad. All right. Hey, let's go over to the UFC in Las Vegas. Deep undercard fight here. What were your thoughts on flyweight Jimmy Flick getting the flying triangle? Buddy, you hold on to something in MMA today, like any kind of extended limb, for any amount of time without doing something with it right away, bad shit's going to happen to you. I mean, the presence of mind for Flick to do this is incredible, but we've seen it over and over again. Guys will catch kicks, hold it, and then get set on fire afterwards, whether it's Joaquin Buckley spinning, you know, two-touch back kick, or uh, this one where he just jumps triangle. But hell of a triangle, hell of a moment. Don't be holding on to shit, folks, unless you're doing something with it. You got to know when to hold them, Luke. So Cody Durden, uh, unfortunately, tapping out here in in the first round. By the way, great name. Tyler's brother? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great name, Jimmy Flick. Love that. All right. Hey, welterweight Michelle Pereira Pereira didn't give us the theatrics during the fight, but Luke, don't check out the weigh-in. What is this, Luke? Bro, he's so athletic, it's absurd. It's absurd. Uh, Do this crap during this. Yes, do that. Unless you can turn that into a kick, don't do that during a fight, all right? He did that one backwards donkey kick. Did you see that? I did see that, yes, yes. That was the only like fun part about that fight. Luke, you would break your back trying this. Uh, I would not be able to get anywhere close to that. Even in my prime, I could have not gotten anywhere close. Do you know how fucking strong you have to be to do that? That is insane. Yeah, yeah, you do. All right. Hey, Luke, we've got a late contender for a knockout of the year in 2020, and it comes from this drunken cheerleader. Oh, God. (laughs) This is uh, Mike Winklejohn and Holly Holm after every win. You ever seen that? They do this after every win. Oh, wow. look at this innocent bystander caught in the crossfire. Luke, wow. Can, can you please point out that everyone in this video is white? Thank you. Yes. yes uh, okay, Jay is asking you. me to note that you'll notice that no one in this video is Chinese or African-American or uh, We're wearing a mask for that. Matter, yeah. Wearing could... a mask. It's it's my fellow white people who love to hurt each other drunk or sober. Well, speaking of drunken jumps, Luke, I got a trio of crowd favorites here. On the golf course, check out this fat guy. Oh, you know what? You watch, you play the Spider-Man game too much times, you know. You start having delusions yep. of grandeur. You end up in hell. Yep, that's how it goes. Uh, Luke, let's check out this guy. I'm so drunk. How about I jump through this glass table for your entertainment? What is this? this uh, one, the Bills- right? 
The Bills Mafia? Have we seen that? I think there's a lot of people that do this. Oh, Jesus. He'll be shitting glass for a year after that, Luke. Wow. Again, once again, I'm noting at this party, BC, there is a clear absence of African Americans from it. I wonder if this must be kind of some kind of coincidence. Well, we got one more bad jump for you, and it comes from two white guys, Luke, who've been drinking. Here we go. Who would have guessed? That they're trying to jump onto a moving boat. Oh! <laughs> they they're almost touched those, tips. Dude, they're going to have those scars like the manatees have <laughs> from getting run over by the fucking blades of the motorboat. They almost touched the tip of that boat just for a second. Look, that would have been the ending right there. Wow. Well, dude, can you, I mean, of, only, um, look, I just want to take a moment to look at this shit. You had a bunch of white guys. God bless them. I'm one of them, too. Who are like, you know what? Let's drink Coors Light and jump off a bridge into a moving boat. What could go wrong? Yeah. Well, they, they just barely missed touching tips. But luckily, Luke, Luke, a lot of people touched tips successfully this week, including a trio of NBA stars. Here's Channing Fry, Richard Jefferson, and Kevin Love posing for a tri-tip photo. You in on this? No. You know I'm not. Jake, I don't like it. Listen, the- I tolerate it because it's your thing. I don't like the tip-to-tip bit. I think it's weird. Okay, are they touching tips, or are they doing like a Illuminati sign? What is that? I'm not not entirely certain. Triangle? I don't know. Maybe that's a vagine they're making with their hands. Okay, uh, Luke, let's go to this Sky Sports soccer presenter, Bella Shaw, going tip-to-tip with a footballer on the screen. Yeah, right? Is uh, I'm not even sure who that is, who with the lame ass jersey. Uh, uh someone from Aston Villa and Burnley. Yeah, no wonder. Two shit teams. Yeah. Um you know what? Sometimes funny things happen on air, BC. Well, Luke, uh even Hall of Famers are getting into the tip on tip phenomenon. Here's Kazushi Sakuraba going double tip on tip with some young Asian man. Isn't that uh Ikuhiso Minowa? Probably. By the way, isn't this the same pose that Galvan and Stylebender did? Yes, it's it's becoming a thing, Luke. I won't. I don't want to say we started this because we didn't, but it's becoming a thing. All right. Listen, until you shake hands through an open fly, you ain't shit to me. That is true, uh, Luke. Let's go to the subway. I, I'm happy to report there's good COVID protocols being done here. A lot of masks. Unfortunately, this guy's going to remove it to kiss a a rat. Dude, what in the <laughs> fuck are we looking at? So is it his pet rat or did he find it on the subway? That's what I need to know. Because either way, it's creepy as all hell. But but there's a di- there's levels to this, Luke, okay? Is this guy like the crocodile hunter of, you know, diseased rodents or something? Yes. Hopefully he gets killed by one of these, Luke. And then I have to say... De- no, dead wrong. He actually got killed by a stingray. Dude, he's dead, okay? I'm sorry, all right? I loved him, too. He's dead, okay? Bindi, a little sneaky, though. Luckily, we, we, caught up the, uh, we caught up on that. All right, Luke, let's get out of this subway car. Uh, check out this piece of art that the Klitschko brothers have going on at this Kiev art Whoa. museum. Would you put this frame up in your house, Luke? Yeah, that's cool. That's super cool. I love it. It's a, you know, again, the, the, the problem with uh, fight art... <laughs> Is that it's always there's there's no subtlety to it whatsoever, you know. This is not a very subtle piece, BC. This is a very eye capturing piece, but I will say it's still pretty cool. This is the kind of piece you need an empty room with nothing else in it but this, right? Pretty much. Yes, I would agree with that. 
All right, Vladimir joining Vitaly in the Hall of Fame in the class of 2021. Uh, nothing to see on this next video, Luke. Just a uh, airplane landing on a highway in Minnesota and crashing into a car. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. That's the most All interesting right. thing that is. Listen, that's the most interesting thing that's ever happened in the state of Minnesota. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Wow. All right, uh, it's teabag of the week time, Luke. Uh, let's check out this uh, little stunt. Here, I got a motorcycle. Do you have jumping stilts? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> For the record, both Caucasian. Okay, moving on, Luke. <laughs> Dude, it's so it's so off brand. You would just never expect it from those people. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Caucasians, I was looking up some research for knockouts of the year and boxing and fights of the year. Came across this October slugfest between Uber drivers. Look, look. look. <laughs> Loser has to no. report to the to the night shift at the slaughterhouse. Look, this is great. Yeah, dude, these are not Uber drivers. These are DoorDash guys for sure. Oh, love it. Love it. All right. A couple more for you, Luke. You know, the best way to break up a drunken chick fight at the pool how about some sweet chin music? Check out Shauna Michaels here. Wow. Ooh. Yes. Bro, that's how you do a fucking, you know, teep. A little sidekick oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, And then they go right to the hair. Blah. Yeah, why do they always have to pull the damn hair? Why can't they fight clean, Luke? Well, I mean, there's a reason why that shit's illegal in MMA, dude. It's a very effective tactic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what about a twister? Is that legal in MMA? Um, I don't think that skin manipulation is in that way, but I could be wrong. All right. I got one more for you, Luke. You want to see a bad idea? How about driving a bicycle off the roof? You ready for <laughs> Is she white? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, she is, Luke. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> I mean, how does she think it was going to end? You're either going to get a uh, hysterectomy accidentally or a lobotomy. Your choice, right? I, I mean, she had five feet of runway, and the bike is three feet. Like, yeah, look at that dog. Well, what? I mean, out. just what are the physics there where you think you're going to launch off this thing like Evil Knievel and then stick the landing? Like, there's no. Uh, the Instagram. There's no other is, way this could have gone. The Instagram account is at Why Females Live Longer. <laughs> not that female look yes yes all right just you, i want to watch this one more time hang on hang on just 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 play this through look at this shit the first the tire just goes right over blop and look at her reach a hand out like she got knocked out uh yeah yeah thank yeah, you that's, i mean that's the that's the best shit i got this week i hope you saw it thank you yes right. very good very good uh all right time for odds and ends bc what do you have for odds and ends so um you're always against these old white guy boxing judges, Luke. They screwed up on Saturday night. They did. I rewatched it just to make sure. Uh, it was unfortunate that the Showtime boxing triple header kind of felt cursed. Two good fights, two fights, just as they're getting good ending with with cuts that forced no decisions. Uh, well, I guess the first fight uh, it forced a decision, but the third fight, the main event, Raymond Gabayo going in there for that uh, interim WBA title against uh, equal late replacement Emmanuel Rodriguez. Luke, I watched this. I thought it was a great performance from Rodriguez. He was efficient. He was a counterpuncher. Gabayo is typically aggressive, but Rodriguez was piecing him up so accurately with counter shots. 
that Gabayo was really setting himself up for one shot at a time. Yes, he was the busier, more active guy, but he landed less punches overall. He was only throwing one at a time. Rodriguez was countering cleanly. Um, our own Raul Marquez on the broadcast had it 12 rounds to zero for Rodriguez. Mm. Look, I tried to give Gabayo as many rounds as I possibly could, Luke. Even though some of these rounds were close, I just felt like the craft of Emmanuel Rodriguez was clear. I gave eight rounds to Rodriguez, and I'm really trying to be generous giving Gabayo four. Yet the scores in the end, Luke, 118-110 for Rodriguez, which seemed to make sense. That's 10 rounds to two. And then 116-112, and I believe 115-113 for Gabayo. Wow. Uh, we've been here before. Keep, keep, keep defending those judges. Keep defending them. And they're, unfortunately, there are two guys I really like, Don Trella and John McKay, both really great guys. But uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it in the end. I tried my best. I didn't see it. They had it 8-4, to 7-5 for Gabayo. Uh, I thought this was a really nice performance for Manuel Rodriguez. Coming off of that, his only career loss to Niowa Inoue. Everybody gets sent to hell by Inoue, it seems, except for Donaire. And uh, both these guys replaced Donaire in this fight. Uh, nice hair night for Manny Rodriguez. A little weird, but I liked it. And he took the he took the shaft. All right, he got the shaft. You get the shaft a lot in boxing, Luke. It happens. All right. You certainly do. Did you want to bring up your DAZN thing as well? Oh yeah. Um, look, this kind of went a little under the radar, but any of you may have noticed that if you tried to watch the Canelo fight this weekend, it was available on traditional pay per view for the first time for a DAZN fight. And here's the kicker. Uh, it was sixty nine ninety nine, and what they were offering in that deal was four months of DAZN on top of that for free or, or part of the deal, which would set you up to where if you wanted to renew, you would renew in time for May when Canelo's probably coming back. And this is most interesting, Luke, because the biggest issue, it seemed, with DAZN and how they would fit in and potentially play nice in this in this boxing market is that remember they were trying to kill pay-per-view. That was the whole hook. That was their, their tagline. We are going to kill pay-per-view who wants to pay 80, hundred bucks for a fight. Just pay eight ninety nine or whatever the original price was per month. And you can get Canelo and triple G and Anthony Joshua and all that. But the problem was how were they going to do a double network fight with Showtime or Fox or ESPN? It didn't seem possible. Now it looks like it's possible with this, with this new pay-per-view option. Um, maybe that's the best scenario, Luke, for their longevity, but it was interesting that they sort of slid it in there under the radar without a major announcement. Um, maybe this leads Canelo to want to fight with them more. I'm not sure. What Do you have any specific take on it? Um, they, ha You're right. They're, I remember the commercials with Bruce Buffer and Canelo, and I oh, had Michael, Oscar De La Hoya in studio uh, when it first came out. And they were all like, this is the end of pay-per-view, this is the end of pay-per-view, pay-per-view's dying, blah, 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 and it has been quite resilient. And so now they have to find a way to make peace with it, and the way in which they're doing it, I think, is, I don't know if this is the best way, but experimenting with it, again, pre-May for Cinco de Mayo, they had to do it. They had to do it. They had to find some kind of hook to get them to go. It'll be curious to see what the pay-per-view numbers look like, A, for a fight that came together kind of short, you know, in short notice, and also, you know, didn't have a huge name in Callum Smith, at least stateside. Obviously, in, in the UK, I'm sure he's a lot bigger. But stateside, not a very big name. And, again, you're splitting the audience. We don't know how much. Between DAZN, who are, I mean, I'm already a DAZN subscriber, so I did not pay for the pay-per-view. So what will the numbers look like, given that some of that is being siphoned off? I don't know. It's some interesting questions. But I do think the more they do this, the way where both sides can win, it's actually better for boxing. Because it's not, it, it, it just removes 
not for everybody, but for the you know the top tier stars where they can move mountains a little bit, it gives us a little bit of flexibility to make some things happen. So I'm actually all in favor of it, provided everyone can still get what they want out of it in the end. What I don't know is if you were still able to get the Canelo fight simply by signing up for one month of zone. I don't know if that option was removed to try to force people to buy the pay-per-view, Luke. But uh, either way, uh, it's better for boxing in the long run if DAZN, even though I love the idea of killing pay-per-view, right? If you're a boxing fan, still, if you want guys on that side of the line, right? The matchroom sport guys, the, the golden boy guys, to be able to fight the PBC guys, the top-ranked guys in a giant pay-per-view, you got to have a way to do it, right? It can't be, well, unless you come to my channel, we can't fight, right? We're sick of this. We're sick of this crap. So if this is the way to do that, and you get four months of the channel with it, maybe that's the best option. I do kind of applaud this if that's the way we're going with this. Fair enough. Uh, all right, for my odds and ends, I have uh, some, you know, not news exactly. I think this is kind of known, but it's worth reminding everyone. It is apparent that uh, Anthony Pettis has fought out his UFC contract. Now, why might that be interesting? Well, his brother already went to Bellator and has had some good success. Why not necessarily if you're Anthony Pettis do that because – um, you're at the stage in your career where you're probably not going to beat A-list guys in the UFC. You could maybe win a title over there. They might love to have you because he's still a good fighter. But more importantly, you know, Anthony Pettis is kind of a blood and guts fighter. He's an entertaining one as well. A move to Bellator right now while he still has a little bit of life left in him and some ability still, that might not be the worst call. I and mean, maybe UFC keeps him, I don't know. But let's pay attention to those roster cuts. Now, this would not be a cut exactly where we're just, you know, releasing you like we did Yoel Romero when you have three fights left. But it would be one where, you know, do we really want to resign the guy for the next stage of his career? That might be one where Bellator could really benefit. I actually wouldn't mind the signing, depending on, you know, on how it all worked out. He'd be a good fit for them, BC. Would you agree? He really would. I think it'd be better off for his career to go because he said in, after the victory, which wasn't a great victory, there were good moments, there were bad moments, uh, but he said afterwards, look, I want to make one last cut to 155 and go for the title. I, I don't see it. I think that that win over Wonderboy, in which I know it was at welterweight, but I know that win in which he lost every second of the fight, but yet exploded at the end and won it dramatically. I think that might be the best of what he has left, Luke. Look, something happened to him along the way, right? From the from the Wheaties box to the, you know, in the title to falling downhill and splitting wins and losses for basically the last X amount of years. Uh, I don't know what it is. Work at, I don't know what it is, but I think that he'll have a better chance at closing out his career in a great way going to Bellator. And look, if he can go to Bellator and figure out a way to win a championship there, and then it could be a guy who won in WEC, UFC, and Bellator, I mean, that's a nice way right. to end out your run. And it might be one of those cuts if you're UFC where you, where you go, okay, what are we going to get out of him? A couple B-sides? I mean, he was on the preliminary card this time around. It might be time for them to right. just go, good luck to you, brother. Right, so we'll see what happens, and and um, it's it's one of those situations where it can work out for everybody. UFC got the best of them. Bellator can get what's left of them, which is still something usable, and he might be able to get something out of them, which is you know ending his career. Dude, you know, getting a WEC and a Bellator and a UFC belt that is that is fucking impressive. To date, Eddie Alvarez, you know, with like his Bellator, um, I think he had a Dream title. He had. Bulldog. Uh, Bodog, Bodog, UFC. I mean, he's a he's been the belt collector. But you had a you had what if what what he can do? That'd be something kind of impressive. So we'll see hey, how Cyborg it goes. is a great belt collector too. Chris Cyborg, she has yep. done that as well. I've, I've heard of her. I've heard she's good. I'm gonna piss my pants. Uh, Luke, so can we get this out of, out of here, please? Please, can we? Yeah, BC. Last, last thing on this, we're not gonna have a UFC event for till January 16th. How are we gonna How are we gonna get through all this with fun? 
with breaking news and fun and maybe some great guests. So here's the deal, Luke. Wednesday is December 23rd. We will have a regular show. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Dude, the great thing about you and I, Luke, we may not always get along. I might not be always there when you call, right? But I am always on time for this show is we could talk about anything, okay? Wednesday, we're going to do a show. We're going to pre-record a special bonus Christmas edition of your questions that will air on Friday. And believe me, we have some fun coming with our episode 100 for right after the new year that we're looking to uh, book some big names and get. But yeah, uh, for, for a little bit, Luke, uh, big time fights are going to take a back seat. But let's not forget two things. Connor Dustin is coming, and there's going to be no shortage of crap to talk about in the next month for that. And also Floyd Jake Paul, for better or worse, is right behind it. So, uh, yeah, Luke, I mean, look, we can go back to some homework assignments. Um, you know, I might piss my pants right now, which would be a first on this show. So, you know. Also, I think Ryan Garcia fights on the 9th, right? Oh, like January second, I think it's like January second, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so there are there will be some boxing. Good thing we cover boxing on the show, BC. Good well, thing. People, yeah. What do, what do you guys want from us here? We do submission underground. Hey, isn't Rumble by the way fighting uh, Ryan Bader and Submission Underground coming up? Uh, I don't know. I don't watch that, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, news and notes here, very quickly. Shit. Or just, uh, if you want to follow us, I don't know if they'll have the slide today. Today's been a great day for production. But if you want to see the slides to follow us on social, we can put those up. We are on Insta, we are on Twitter, and uh, for Morning Combat, everything is consistent with the name everywhere you go, youtube.com slash morningcombat. You want to send us an email for dead wrong or fan submissions, send us some Christmas-themed fan submissions. Do that at morningcombat at gmail.com, the official email of the show. We want to try Showtime, you can get a 30-day free trial, showtime.com. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go fuck yourself. And then uh, last but not wow, least, buy some wow. of that. Buy s- that escalated quickly. Wow. Buy, buy some there. of that. Buy some of that merch. You can go to Showtime, uh, excuse me, store.show.com. You can get some of that MK stuff for you and yours, your brethren out there. It'll be a good thing. All right. All right. Uh, BC, anything else before we go? Uh, no. Maybe watch that comedy store doc series. You love stand up comedy. Look, it's right up your alley. They got everybody on that show. It's great. I will watch it. I will, you've been recommending it. I got to do it. I'll put it on the list. All right. For uh, my friend Brian Campbell, who is also from CBS Sports, everyone at Malka, everyone at Showtime, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.